0: Thanks for tuning in to Series Two of the Right for the Stage podcast. My name's Mike Heath, and along with fellow playwright Stephen M Hornby, we're going to discuss our respective playwriting processes. Stephen discusses history plays and writing from archive, and I talk about my process for finding stories from mining the imagination. All the while, having a bit of a bitch about each other. Enjoy. (laughs) I hate you, and we haven't even started. Uh, welcome back to the Right for the Stage podcast.
1: Thanks, Mike. It's been a little while, hasn't it? it has, we've been away for about three months and we've both been we
0: busy have, bees. We have. I've grown a beard. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> and it starts. <laughs> I hadn't really noticed, but if yeah, that's what you want to call it. Whatever. Um, so, so uh, yeah, so we've been busy, haven't we? So we've had um, Christmas. That was very really nice. How was your Christmas? Christmas, oh goodness, yeah, it was lovely. I was in
1: Worcester, being a
0: Worcestershire person, it was fine. very nice, very nice. And um, did you, uh, and we've been seeing lots of plays since then as well? We've
1: seen loads of stuff, Um, I've been, uh, I've had three plays that I've written, developed or staged, so I've been very, very busy. Yeah, blimey. Partly why <laughs> the world will be grateful, yes. Absolutely. Um, partly why we've had this break is because both of us have just been completely Super round, busy, yeah, haven't yeah. we? And this is coming up to Easter, uh, spring break, has been yeah. the first time we've actually had a pause to catch our breaths.
0: It has, and so we've seen, uh, we, we saw, um, one of the favorite things that I saw recently, we saw both saw sort of together was the train spot in live. Oh, okay, that was before. fantastic, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, I just thought, um, an amazingly committed from a really brilliant ensemble cast wasn't it and really immersive and you know you got splatted with rank old toilet water and, <laughs> and got quite of um, coffee smelling faeces thrown all over you it's lovely yeah and um, they certainly captured the tone and feel yeah.
1: of the novel and I mean you really helpfully I think with uh, with with something like this they thought about a different way through the text. Definitely. So then although you recognized it from the film, you know the characters were 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 noticeably the same characters, the actual narrative path through it was different. Yeah. So then it kept kept on surprising you and engaging you and yeah I sat, seemed to sit at the point of of most immersion. So I remember for one scene I had someone clutched to my legs for most of the yeah. scene. And then people B was giving you a hard time. But yeah, I got called all sorts <laughs> of yeah. rude names by the characters <laughs> and uh, got it pushed aside hilarious. several times. Yeah, Mike was delighted at how, uh, how aggressively... Uh, uh, the condemning they were of me. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic piece. It was, it was, one, it was yeah. one of those things that you go away and it just makes you go, God, that's what theatre is.
0: Yeah, and it's on in, in Manchester until the 21st of April, I think. Well, I it? was just Googling yeah, as yeah. you were I'm, speaking
1: I'm... to check that that was the case, but I'm pretty sure it is. They're doing a long run Yeah, um, at Mayfield Depot. Mayfield Depot. Which, which is
0: really atmospheric, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's the type of place where Skagheads would, would hang out, so it kind of... i <laughs> <so laughs> not it, sure you can use that no, phrase. It's very judgy. Not, yeah, it's yeah, a very yeah, judgy a phrase, judgy. Mike. Um, people who... Uh, substance uh, yep. abuse issues. Sub- yeah, living yeah, yeah, with yeah, substance yeah. abuse issues. <laughs> so we might say that. It kind of made you feel... Excited about theatre again, I thought. You know, because sometimes because I saw your piece and then I was like, kind of a bit jaded. And like... <laughs> you left in despair. Yeah, I was like, oh god, is that what theatre really is? And then we went to see this, and it was fantastic, and it, it revived my um, joy of theatre. So that's definitely a highlight for me, I think. You're so funny. I, hate I know. You. I don't know why I do that. So you're not even <laughs> paying me. You're such an but awful human paid. being. Yeah. No, I mind. So I. So we uh, and also you've had um, the you had your Peter Tatchell piece on and I was I was in the rehearsal reading which was bonkers wasn't it I I know I've forgotten that (laughs) God I must have been hard up for actors Yeah, yeah, I think you must have been yeah (laughs) because you asked me No it was really good fun to do and we worked with uh, the director uh, Matt Hassel Matt Hassel who was really good I because it was really good to be an actor i call, i use um, quotation marks there. reader let 's call you a reader <laughs> it 's really good to to be on the uh, on the development side of um of, of a rehearsed reading actually because uh, working with matt was really i think he asked lots of questions I, I learned a lot from it actually because you know because he 's he's an experienced um, director isn 't he and, yes. and he um yeah you know, he just he just approached it with a really um, because yeah, we had like a day to do it didn't we so it was, it, crazy. it was really fast turnaround and he had a really kind of matter of fact what do we know here kind of approach to um to, to putting it together so it was really it was a really good experience it was a great weekend actually i really enjoyed it
1: so um, i was um playwright in residence at the people's history museum um which was a funded placement by the arts and humanities research council um so i did that from uh, last october and my task was to write a play about Peter Tatchell, so it was just, I just to think people need a bit of context yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so it was um, Peter Tatchell, who's the um, human rights campaigner and obviously a key LGBT rights spokesperson, um, has his own foundation now um, fighting for uh, human rights globally. He in one thousand nine hundred and eighty three stood as a candidate for the Labour Party in Bermondsey, and uh, it 's known as the most homophobic campaign ever fought in British history. And, and it's certainly, sh- when you go back and look at the archive that they've got at the People's History Museum, it's really so shocking. Yeah. In terms <laughs> of the, you look at the headlines that newspapers were printing and you cannot believe, I mean, they wouldn't be legal now, but you can't <laughs> believe those things were so casually printed at the time. Mm. Um, so I had to engage with the archive there um, and um, interviewed Peter um, for several uh, uh, on a couple of occasions to create that piece uh, which then so that had a I guess we'd call it a rehearsed reading yeah not be more than a stage performance yeah you were yeah, still yeah, basically yeah. sat weren't you yeah and bless him Matt who's now relocated to London so Matt used to run the um, young company at the Royal Exchange Theatre um, but has relocated to uh, London to develop his career there and he was he was literally he'd seen a first draft and then he uh, he hadn't seen the final version until he got up at five o'clock in yeah. the morning to get onto a train and um, uh, had read it on the train. So it t- and then I'd got a breakfast meeting with him at nine yeah. to go through it for and an then he hour. Was
0: panicking because it's like, what do I do with this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he didn't get on the train and go home. He then yeah. stayed and um, he was great. He was really good. He's fantastic. Yeah. Pair of I'm he's really, a really safe pair of hands, and yeah. he can really work under pressure. And so then he had about five, six hours with you yeah, on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And then on the Sunday, you were in a room with 100 people and Peter Tatchell, yeah. who again hadn't seen the final version yeah. of the play. Um, and he's watching himself. And then we've got a Q&A afterwards trying to make sense of it all.
0: It was great. It, it was a good... I mean, I thought the play was really good. I'm actually saying something nice to you. I know. I'm glad, it, I'm glad <laughs> it's being recorded, this. <laughs> I thought that, that the play was really good and it was um and it was it was just it there, there was there was that kind of extra level of weirdness that Pete Tatchell was actually in the audience because he was it, it's, I always think um things that are based on biography always reminds me of that that brilliant episode in absolutely fabulous where um <laughs> Safi has written the play and and um, and and uh, Eddie and um, Patsy go and watch it and they don't recognise themselves. So. Yeah,
1: yeah that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah.
0: And I, every time I ask my mum and dad to come to see one of my plays, I, I, that, that scene always comes back to me.
1: And it, it was peculiarly performative, wasn't it? Because we were in the main, the, the engine room at the People's History Museum, which is a big cavernous room. And we've got 100 people fanned out around us. And uh, because it's not a stage space, it didn't have stage lighting. So you didn't <laughs> get the normal separation between the performance space and the audience. So we were all just lit together. Yeah. And of course, a lot of the people there knew a lot more about, had come for Peter Tatchell. So they were slyly looking to one side every time Peter was in a scene to see how Peter was reacting. Was very hard not yeah. to do that. Yeah, as well, yeah, And he just kept an absolute yeah. poker face on, didn't
0: he? And yeah. then came up and said some lovely things about it at the end. He was really nice, actually, wasn't he? He was. We went to the pub afterwards as well, didn't we? Yeah. Which was very nice. And it felt... You know, it, it, it was genuinely an honour to meet him, actually. Yeah. That was great. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about today. Um, we, well, one of the um, tweets that we got um, a while ago um, was from Sarah Cassidy, and she asked if we could talk about our process, yep. our writing process. So so that's what we're going to do there. So there was a 16-minute um, oh, ten-minute preamble there. was um, We well, so can always yeah. cut it. Well, no, no. I think it was quite interesting. Probably, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> or maybe put a little bit of intro saying what we're going to be talking <laughs> yeah. about at the top. <laughs> yes, maybe I'll do that. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that, I thought that's what we could do today, just to kind of bring us back into. Yeah, um, we have another... been doing that really, haven't yeah. we?
1: Talking yeah. about uh, you know the projects that we've been working on, and we can talk about our process in relation to those. Definitely. You've been writing as well, haven't you? The world I have. size.
0: Yes, so <laughs> yeah. size in relief or size in kind of. Well, disdain. I'll leave that up to the world to <laughs> decide. So yeah, I've I've been because I've been doing the this Liverpool Everyman Playwrights Program. Great, and um, which has been brilliant actually because I kind of found myself in a bit of a weird headspace with um, writing last year after a strange thing which we'll talk about on another podcast. Yeah. Um, just suddenly being kind of this hate figure on Twitter, which was very very odd, um, and so it kind of almost felt like it disarmed me a little bit from from writing for a while. So getting on the, um, on, the on the Playwatch programme at Liverpool was, was kind of came at the right time because it just kind of got me back into these these regular meetings with people who were uh, talking about plays, so it was really yeah. good. So, yeah, and it so must have, there must have been competition to get onto it, so it, yeah, ran, yeah, no, absolutely. it must have been yeah, quite to affirming just to, to, to yeah. be part yeah, of it. Yeah, no, absolutely, it was really good, and oh, it has been really good, it's still going. And so... As part of that, um, I um, yeah, I've been writing this play called "Boyfriend Stroke Husband," which good we, title. Thank you. And um, and so it's been really interesting to write because. But I, when
1: you say stroke, just because it's audio, do you mean S T R O K? No, that's the wrong spelling. S T R O K E or S-T-R-O-K-E slash.
0: I've well, I've written it as the word.
1: Oh, so, so that sounds a little bit naughty. It does sound like a boyfriend <laughs> stroking a husband. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like someone's. Um, adulterous lover and uh, their husband are meeting. Yeah,
0: that's maybe. Yeah. yeah? But, okay. But it's not really about that. Oh right. Okay. Damn. <laughs> well, it is. Good. Well, I don't know. I don't know. if It's not the the central story isn't about that. But then there's that little kind of. Yeah. You know, so so anyway, so um so I've approached this really differently. Um so so I thought that perhaps rather than um than talk about that play first I would talk about what I've written pre- previously and the process that I've used previously perhaps yeah yeah so yeah. your previous process
1: and how this one's different yeah okay yeah so because um, you've you always always in any conversation about writing to me you're always stressing the, the kind
0: of underpinning narrative and dramatic action and moving the plot forward yeah so I think so I've always come from that perspective so my, my original um, training in writing was with Northwest Vision in like the beginning of 2000s I guess um, and, and I did a screenplay writing um, course um, called first with a company called first film and it was with I was working in you know kind of TV at the time and and with turn on TV the company that I was working with, we went and to develop a, a, a screenplay working with a producer if that makes any sense mm-hmm. so so I, so basically they they taught. They taught us about three act structure and all that kind of stuff, and I found it a really. I'd, I'd written bits before that, but I hadn't really written anything that had been kind of made or performed or whatever. Really, I'd just been kind of just been playing about on you know just putting things together. So I found that the the, the course was really good. It was really useful. I mean, the film didn't get made because films, films just don't, don't get made. Yeah. You know, you know that, um, but it was a, it was a great experience and. I realized that kind of to make a film, you need lots and lots of money yeah and I, and at the, at the time, Studio Salford was just starting at the, at the at the king's arms in in Salford, and I went to see some work there, and i you know I, I think I just fell in love with. Because I, I was quite reasonably late to the theatre in lots of ways. You might be able to tell that from the, the way I talk about it sometimes. But, um, <laughs> what, the huge absences in your basic knowledge? <laughs> you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Um, so, but, but then, um, you know, so, so I kind of fell in love with theatre just in this little tiny room. Just going to see really, Im- re- well, not necessarily immersive, but, but close, close, yeah, yeah, you know, intimate. You There's know. something
1: about seeing, you know, the the emotion in someone's eyes. Yeah. that that, yeah. that kind of performance offers, isn't there?
0: And the, yeah, and the, and the kind of mode of storytelling, um, it just it just really excited me. And so I went and I took the stuff that I'd learned about three act structure and kind of turned that into into play because I suppose. Film learnt from theatre, didn't it? You know, so yes. so it kind of yeah, makes yeah. sense to take it back. But you know? I guess
1: with film, you've got you've got much more micro control yeah. over that point of view, haven't you? Definitely, and you've yeah. also got that constant focus on visual storytelling. Yeah. So did did you, did you bring that with you as
0: well? I brought, I brought a lot of the ideas of visual storytelling in, but I but I think um, what I was what was really what I felt really lucky to have at Studio Southford originally was a big network of people who. We much more experienced in theater than I was, and so when we got together and we, and we read stuff, they were well you know play you know theater scenes are much much longer than film scenes so yes. you can, and so it was just so, it, so yeah. the, those, those little nuggets of um, of essential information I kind of picked up through kind of osmosis, I suppose. Mm. And so, um, and we had Embryo, which was kind of a cabaret night where we kind of just tried out 10 minutes of our work and then the audience gave feedback and all that kind of thing. So it was really really useful from that perspective. And so I think that really early on, having that opportunity to try some work out in front of an audience, Mm I found really really valuable and so I've, I've used that all the all the way um through really so what,
1: using using audience as a way of engaging in developing scripts rather yeah. than expecting to present them with a finished product that
0: they love i think yeah i mean i've i've done both actually i've kind of i've worked by putting you know kind of like these 10 minute excerpts at, at embryo at the king's arms um so you just put in your 10 10 minute Excerpt on or whatever, and then getting feedback from an audience, and then when I went back and wrote it, I really felt like I knew the characters more because there was someone who played the character, yeah, yeah. and so I felt like the voices had really developed, and it was was, that was really useful. So working with actors and working with audience feedback and all that kind of stuff was really useful. But then I've written other things. There's there's one play particularly that I wrote called the VIP Lounge, which I decided to just not go with three act structure because I was a bit bored of three act structure, not to go with really thinking about you know how 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 to kind of create a narrative and all that kind of thing i just wrote and didn't really do any rehearsed readings didn't didn't really do much kind of development with it and then it was on and then after the play everyone was like oh god i've got rather than having a drink with me in the in the bar everyone was like oh god i've got to go get a tram (laughs) so nobody really wanted to have a conversation was this on at the king's arms of salford yeah i I think i saw this before
1: i knew you right i think i went with matt brady Oh, possibly, a mutual yeah. friend of ours. Yeah, it's
0: probably, yeah. Well, you probably thought it was shit. I should imagine, but. yeah, I, I, I was quite appalled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was a good first introduction. Really, isn't it? But no, so I think that had the impression that stuck with me all yeah, the probably, time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah,
1: so was that was was uh, having an experiment of abandoning it and abandoning your usual process of developing smaller pieces, you know, from a smaller piece yeah. through audience engagement. Did that so what i'm hearing is that was work. a disappointing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, result yeah, no definitely yeah yeah but <laughs> and I'd, I'd, for your audience
0: Yeah, absolutely you yeah. and and i think yeah definitely for the audience and i think the one the one thing that um that you know because there's lots of people who who in who write for theatre specifically and say structure don't worry about it and i think that's a massive mistake actually yeah, I did, because yeah. actually if you because that is an example of structure don't worry about it and 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 I think one of the things about um, writing from a structural perspective is that you're writing a story that an audience feels kind of comfortable enough to follow the journey of the character rather than just throwing all these characters in the room and just getting them to talk and say stuff. You know, and, 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 so, and so I think that, so, so that was an interesting experiment um, to not, you know, to just to kind of abandon everything and to try it. And whereas some people kind of use that approach and they were very successful with it. I didn't feel like that was a particularly successful play for me, you know, uh, you know, and I knew that, you know, when it was up, I, I knew, I, you know, because I directed it as well and, and working in the rehearsal room, was like, this just isn't working. Right. You know, and. So it the, reaffirmed your previous process yeah, really. Yeah, definitely. So, so then I, so then I discovered this book by, um, this guy, by Tony Craze, who was the, um, he died in 2016, I think and he um, was the artistic director of Soho Theatre. Right. And he's written... He, I just happened upon it. I, I don't know why I kind of found it, but I found it on Kindle, and it's called How, How to Write a Theatre Script in 25 Days and 10 Hours. And... Um, and Because I've... looked, You know, there's lots of... Um, there's lots of how-to books, aren't they? And those. actually, I don't find a lot of them are very particularly helpful, really. They, they talk in kind of... Huge um, generalisations, I find, and sometimes, you know, in a whole chapter there's a couple of little nuggets that are useful often, I think. Sometimes it's, it feels a little bit bloated, they're just trying to fill the page with, with stuff. There's a couple of books that are great, but um, but this one was is basically a 25 days of exercises. And so you start by, and, and the whole idea is that you write without editing yourself. And so, you, and you're supposed to use a pen rather than use a computer. Although I've I've kind of turned into you know kind of I've I've adapted it to using a computer because the first the first play I wrote using this process was All Tomorrow's Parties, which was in which was on at the King's Arms in about 2011 maybe 2010. I don't know. You you, you don't. Know. <laughs> Cause I avoid you. You avoid your cause work you, work my, you avoid I my work after, after, after the VIP lab. You never. <laughs> <laughs> to anyway, so. So it gives you these 25 days of exercises. So it starts with, you know, kind of a... Thought. And is it with a view
1: to that at the end of the exercises you'll kind of have one play or that you'll have lots of different starting
0: points? You, you, you kind of develop... Um, so you start with the, with the seed of an idea from the, from the perspective of theme. Then you, um, then you introduce characters and then you introduce the world of the characters through this um, imaginary photo album. Of, of, of found images that kind of all embody the theme in, in some kind of way. And then you kind of work on each of those um, photo, you know, imagined photos and you kind of, the idea is that you just take these little things as stimulus and then just write something. You kind of, you, you fill it out. And then what I discovered in this process that was so exciting was that, um, that there was lots of stuff that I wrote that I never expected to write. You know, and, and and because it specifically says don't cross things out, um, you find yourself writing something, and then you think, oh god, I don't know where this is going. But then you just kind of let the sentence finish itself, and then and then you discover, you know. And it was all the, it was just this idea of he they, they calls it mining the imagination for ideas and for material. And so through the um, through the process of these twenty five days, you do all of these exercises that look at um, different aspects of this one play, and you kind of build up the world and you. And you kind of dis- you discover their voices. You you under- understand their motivations. You understand. You know, it creates this whole kind of um, universe. Universe, really, yeah. And then you write the play in ten hours. Oh, I see. It's yeah, so twenty five yeah. days and ten yeah. hours. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah. And although I kind of cheated a bit, and I started writing it because I was just chomping at the bit to write it. I I, I completed that twenty five days thing and. And, and I just discovered these characters that wrote themselves really because um because I really you know kind of intimately knew them it 's quite a long process, but it's really interesting and so i've so i 've done that a lot um and and but now i don 't do that kind of as religiously i don 't do kind of twenty five days of exercises i kind of I kind of go through and whenever i get feel like I get stuck um I go and I find one of the exercises in there and just do one of the exercises and then i you know if that doesn't kind of solve the problem, then I'll go and find another one. And eventually you solve the problem that way. So it's been, I think it's been a real, um, I would totally recommend that book to anyone. In fact, you know, we through Write for the Stage, I've nicked a lot of those exercises to, to get people started, you know, to yeah, get yeah. people to, because the idea is that people come to the course and they don't really know what they want to write about. And then these exercises are kind of there to um, discover those things. And so I think that's, um, a re- you know, I, th- I would definitely recommend that as a as a book to just take your ideas from from the ether and just kind of um, develop them into living, breathing characters that you just follow around and write down what they do and th- what they say.
1: And that's really um, it's really interesting that the book is is about not just sort of developing you as a playwright or exercises you might do with the group, but it's actually designed to create a play. Yeah. So that it's it's the process, mm. you know. You, you start, and sort of that, that sounds to me a very satisfying thing. That after sort of twenty five days and ten
0: hours, you've got a play. Yeah, and it's only there with the first draft. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, of but, but, but um,
1: but yeah, no, it's really, but good. it's it's a really channeling all of the exercises yeah. purposefully towards one goal, isn't yeah. it? Rather than just like, oh, here's something to help develop your dialogue writing. Here's yeah,
0: I, and it's none of that. You know, it doesn't tell you how to write dialogue. Doesn't really tell you how to write a play. It just gives you all of these structure. Things that, it's like, very structured. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And and although it doesn't. I suppose it. it what, one of the really good things that it does um, is it gets you to write out a scene, um, a scene breakdown, yeah, which is really, really helpful because there is always going to be gaps in there, isn't there? So you, so you know what they, you know, you know the beginning of your story, and you, you probably know where the end is going to be, and sometimes it's always... always
1: act two. Act two is the thing that people struggle with, yeah,
0: and so you know that some things are going to happen, don't you? And then, so when you write it down and you've got those gaps, you can find out to join them together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, or you invent a way to 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 join them together, and so it, you know it all really helps. And I think you know it's twenty five joyful days of writing. You know because it's you know it says on, on each exercise um, it says like uh, like unit six ex, estimated time input one hour thirty minutes. So you just put that time aside, um, and you know you just you just do the exercise. It's really really good. It's like the logistics for playwriting. Yeah, it, and what's really good about the idea that you know this should take an, an hour and a half is that you know, you know, anyone can put an hour and a half aside a day, can't they? Probably, even if it's a, well, uh, you know, I mean, I know that's tricky, but um, but if you know that it's just an hour and a half, then you don't watch shitty telly for an hour and a half, which <laughs> to is insight into your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, I mean, telly's boring, isn't it? You know, there, telly's boring, in it? <laughs> I well i mean netflix is great i think but i think broadcast oh studies, you mean broadcast yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, just, I always I just, think
1: of it just as a generic now for I, yeah. all small screen whatever yeah. the platform is i just
0: find that there's very little on telly that i really want to watch
1: my god netflix. there's more on telly than there's ever been before mike and most of it is exceptional quality what on earth are you talking about
0: well, can't be that good <laughs> <laughs> you I just don't so, found it maybe I, I just watch food programs ah so um so like master and all that kind of stuff, that is our cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so, that's, so that's the process. And, and so um, the process that I've been using a lot and, um, and then, you know, again, using rehearsed readings and things like that to help, to help develop the script once it's there. So once you've
1: got that first script, you'll then try to do, you know, get some actors together to read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's always helpful, I think.
1: Do you find actors themselves give you honest feedback? Yeah, I
0: think so. Um, well, I suppose it depends on whether they think it's good or shit. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah.
1: Think, I think actors, my experience um, of working with actors, and I would do exactly the same in their position, mm. is that they will voice what they like yeah. and it's harder for them to voice what they don't like. Because but they're think, obviously yeah. relation, you know, it's it's about relationship building with the writer, isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. it? And hoping that the piece is going to go on and get funded and that they want to be casting yeah. the part. I totally get that, but it is quite difficult, I think, for actors to honestly just say, "Oh, I don't think that scene works at all," and I think this is wrong with the character. I don't understand what I'm playing at this point. Yeah, I mean, you'll get a little bit, but I I, I understand I why have... they'd be reticent about that. Yeah, yeah. That.
0: But I think you also have to like with the. Um, with development week at Egosoft. I think that 's
1: better where well, you 've got a small audience and they 've got anonymous feedback I so think, they 've got uh, anonymous
0: feedback but've we, always i 've always said in in those um, in those sessions that um, in the, you know, those development week um, things that um, everyone likes to hear that you liked it but it 's not helpful no and, not. and actually the stuff that you don 't like is more helpful so yep. i 've always kind of tried to approach it by you know, i think just say you know to, just to give people that license mm. to say. If you think it's shit, say because this is only a reading, and it, it, you know at this stage it's a it's a perfect opportunity to address it. It's not a perfect opportunity to address it when there's an audience there. No, absolutely. Which was what happened with, with the VIP lounge. You know, the VIP lounge was was um, you know the audience were there, and I was sitting there thinking this is awful. <laughs> so was I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure you were. Yeah. No, but that's really. I think that's a really useful thing
1: that uh, the actors. You know you've gotta you've got to really if you're working as a writer, what you want is a relationship with actors that enables them to be honest, yeah, and to move out of that headset that says, "Oh I can't really voice too much negativity because you know I don't want to be seen as a, a negative person yeah. who isn't being constructive, but to really have have that group of three or four trusted readers yeah who you know." will tell you exactly what they think. Or, you know, we, we're both members of a, of, a, of a gay men's writing group where the it's other writers who mm. are reading your work. Yeah. And that's really helpful, it's I really think, helpful, because yeah. they're not invested at all yeah. in, in getting yeah, gassed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So they're going to tell you're you... And there for quite a second, <laughs> so You're going to say what you hate. <laughs> yeah. People are going to be honest with you yeah, yeah. about about the work. And I think that's something in... I, I, I mean, I'm I, like you, I really value that development process of having actors read it having a small audience um, see early drafts and give you feedback. But it's all the battle is always to get honesty in the room. Yeah. Absolutely, and to, and, yeah. and also to give off that you've got the resilience to take it. Yeah. That you're not gonna be crushed or, mm. you know, be sobbing in the in the dressing room afterwards yeah. that you can Or if
0: you or if you are going to be, you can get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're
1: not gonna blame anybody or show it. Yeah, no, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so giving that resilience off to people so that they know they can be honest with you. It's it's a relational thing, isn't it? it You've is, got yeah. to build those relationships. But it's
0: really valuable, I think. You know, people have to be be able to be honest. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. I don't think.
1: Yeah, and fi-
0: I mean, I think I'd say to to
1: any act to any writer, seek out those. You know, seek out either the the group, the uh, the opportunity, like with your development weeks, or uh, the the personal relationships with a small group of readers or actors, and build those relationships so that those are people who you can really go to with those early drafts and off also you know reciprocally offer it yourself mm. to other people and when you're sat there you know listening to some bad writing and a friend saying what do you think just say that it's you know say why don't yeah. just say I hate it. I think it's shit sandwich but, you know, time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's it, you know we, we all have a duty to develop each other's creativity yeah. through honesty. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and obviously, it constructively. Yeah. But if if it's bad, let's 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 call it out, but in a in a in a way that helps the writer to move yeah, forward, yeah. not in a way that not crushes the, them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that's the, the the balance, isn't it? Not being an asshole. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um,
1: but but also you want to hear it, don't you? Yeah of course. As yeah, a writer, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. The thing I learn most for is what people hate it when they're hearing it. Yeah, yeah. And and you're just like, Oh, right, okay. And, and sometimes when you're sat listening to it and you're hearing actors struggling with it, you can you know for yourself, oh my God, this really doesn't work at all. Mm. And then they tell you it doesn't work and you're yeah. like, well, that just confirms what you know. But occasionally you don't. Yeah. You go in thinking, oh, I'm really pleased with this I'm, I'm scene. A, a this genius. totally works. <laughs> and they just sit and read it with bemusement yeah. and can't really get it. And you're yeah. like, blimey, okay. That's, you know, because we lose ourselves in the world of the play. Yeah. And so then it is hard, even if we're writing well, to see what we're not saying that we should be saying, or where we're saying too much, where we could say yeah. much less, yeah. and it's often in that zone that that people are really helpful when you when you suddenly have to make it an external thing to other people.
0: Definitely. So, t- so tell me about your um, your, your process because you write um, historically influenced or inspired work? Is that how you describe it? Well,
1: yeah, there's a whole, there's a, there is a whole debate about what exactly you What on you earth call, are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what do you call this kind of work? So I would broadly say that I write history plays. So these are plays that are um, about the past and have some claims to uh, uh, literacy. So mm. I talk about literacy, I don't talk about accuracy. Because I think as soon as you talk about accuracy, you run a hiding to nothing, really, because it's not a documentary. Yeah. So documentaries, we need to talk about... The test of a documentary is, is it fair, balanced, does it reflect what actually happened or is happening? That's not the test of a history play. So a history play has to be, I would say, historically literate. And by that, I mean that the writer has done their homework. They understand Mm. the period, the people, and they've thought about... Some things are locked in a time bubble. Do you know what I mean? Some things are really hard to make sense of for a modern audience. So with my historian head on, I can go back and understand something about the past. Yeah. But go, trying to then dramatically communicate it to an audience in the present can be very tricky. Mm. So for instance, the play I've just written, one of the plays I've just written, The Adhesion of Love, um, which has been touring um, and has got one more performance, okay. the 31st of May um at the Bolton Socialist Club um that has the tricky thing about that to communicate to the present is religion so i am acutely aware that th- this is a play set between 1885 and um 1894 that religion played a huge part in these people's lives mm. and the, the you know going to church worshipping Understanding God as part of your lived experience and the Bible as a text that you refer to all the time is something we've just totally lost in, um, you know, as far as Anglican religion goes in our culture. Mm. So if you simply replicate it, it's quite alienating to an audience, even if that's real. So you have to find a way to nod to it so you can show that you understand that that's part of those people's lives. But not simply replicate it because it would be quite alienating. Because it's not documentary. Because it's not documentary. So you've got to, you know, you find ways of honouring the spirit and tone of what the record of the past tells us, whilst also finding things that work dramatically. So my process, I guess, is quite: I go, I have an earlier stage before anything to do with actually writing a play which is an archival stage so I'm engaging with uh, with archival material so for for the Adhesion of Love there were two separate huge records about this group so this was a group of men in Bolton a late Victorian Bolton who formed a connection with Walt Whitman of all people um who's who, who is an is known in this country as a a really important playwright but um is massive in America. In America he's huge, he's known as the bard of democracy, he's kind of the poetic father of a nation. Um, and we don't really have that sense of him, we just have a sense of him as a sort of, oh, we, you know, people might know a few of his poems or a few of his phrases. Um, and so what that, what on earth is the link between these men in Bolton and Walt Whitman? And yeah. they actually managed not only to write to him and get correspondence going, but two of them go over and visit him.
0: Yeah, which is what he plays about, isn't it? Yeah, essentially.
1: Yeah. And so there's a, there's a whole set of papers left over from this group, the uh, Bolton-Whitman Fellowship. Um, some of them are in the John Rylands, some of them are in Bolton Museum. So That's John
0: Rylands' Wy- Library in Manchester.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I spent um, weeks with these documents, really. Mm. And there is... Um, there is a sort of somatic process, that thing of, you know, when you're holding, lots of archives are digitised, so they're, they're very accessible, which is great, but there is something about when you're holding the envelope that Walt Whitman addressed in his mm. own handwriting mm. that's a sort of thrill. Yeah, I know yeah, that's yeah, a really yeah. archival, nerdy thing to say, no, not but, at all. <laughs> but, but but there is. Yeah. Um, and that's very different to seeing it digitised on a screen. Mm. And just the smell of the paper and the ink, there's a whole, so there's a whole thing that you go through, uh, kind of a uh, 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 kind of embodied response to the archive, which is sort of performative and very mm. odd in itself, um, but you have all of that and the thing you have to wear gloves and all that kind of thing you often have to wear gloves and there's, had, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's all sorts of security and there's a whole you know how you access you know an item in the archive at a time so it becomes a sort of ritualized performance yeah. of going up to a desk getting an item on a tray taking it back being observed to do it properly so it is it is it is a sort of performance yeah, in yeah.
0: and of itself did was it a joan collins type who (laughs) yeah yeah I wrote
1: I wrote an article for Gay Times about um this this woman who was kind of your opposite the expectation of what you think a librarian's Mm. going to be compared to what she was it was like imagine Joan Collins as a librarian (laughs) 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 and she was fantastic um during this whole process Um, but the thing I get with archival engagement is I don't really know where I'm going so I try and be completely open with it and just absorb everything that's there and so, do you make notes as you go along? Or, or I do, I do, but I, the thing that I try and resist is jumping straight to a story. Right. Yeah. Because often when you're engaging with the narrative, I mean, I've done these under, you know, with commissions. So people are paying me to do it. Yeah. And I've got a time span. Yeah. And what that creates in me is an anxiety about finding a yeah. story.
0: Because it takes a while. It takes, uh, you know, just to write a play on its, on its own it takes months doesn't it It does and I've got to do all this
1: archival then what then the information I gather I've got to make sense of and contextualize and then I've got to get a story you know a story that works as a play so there is a whole anxiety thing and the way I've learned to manage that is what I do is rather than resisting um just saying well I'm not going to do anything I'm just going to to read everything that's in this archive Mm. what I do is I go the other way and I write down every possible story so rather than trying to block it as soon as I think, oh, God, that's interesting, then I write it down. I do a paragraph saying, well, the story would be this, 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 and yeah. this. And then I can just put it aside. And then I get on with the next bit. And I don't let that close me down. Yeah. So then oh, my process to, yeah. is completely yeah. open. So what I end up with when I come out yeah. of it, instead of having one story, I've probably got like 15 or 20 possible yeah, yeah, yeah. stories. And that's brilliant because then you can select the strongest yeah. and you find that some of them overlap. And suddenly you go, oh, it's about these two people. Yeah. And that's where their stories come together thematically and narratively.
0: Because you, you spend a lot of time looking through stuff that you'll never have yeah, use, isn't there?
1: Loads and loads yeah. and loads. So it's time
0: consuming from that perspective. Do, do you ever feel lose the will to live when you're kind of just looking through <laughs> stuff and you see, like, there's nothing here. Got, <laughs> do you ever feel like There that? are.
1: Um, I tell you, when, when you get, uh, what I do, one of the things I do technically is that I photograph it. Oh, so, okay. we're, you know, we're lucky now in that I, you know, I have an iPhone um, 8 and the camera on it, um, it, it, it is sufficiently sophisticated that you can not have a flash photograph in, yeah. in, in, in low levels of light and you can you know have have it all there and read it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not stuck, you, know, you, can, you can do it oh, at your right leisure. It. And what that means is that you, you so scan. You're like,
0: you're like a knob at a restaurant taking pictures of their food. I am you? like a knob at a restaurant, <laughs> yeah.
1: But what it means is that your level of engagement with the document is very cursory. So you just have a sense of what it is mm. without having to sit and read it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. But you know you've got it for later if you need it.
0: So you create your own archive. Yes, of, so of you of create archive, a, yeah.
1: a selective archive of what's there. Mm. And then you know, I think somewhere that wires into your brain, um, you know the basic shape of yeah, what's yeah. there. So when there are some, obviously you, you, you have a few key documents where you think, oh, I, you know, I know that and I'll read that. And then you've got like, oh, maybe there was something about this. And it's actually, I actually find I can find it very yeah, quickly yeah. then. And then only at that stage, read it. So one of the, the piece I did, the Peter Tatchell piece, um, First Rumours, that was the bit that that was quite soul-destroying, was there was a point. They, uh, the People's History Museum have all the Michael Foote, uh, who was the leader of the Labour Party at mm. the time that Peter Tatcher was a candidate, they have all his papers.
0: I played Michael Foote.
1: You did indeed, didn't you? <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're the right age. Yeah. Um, so we... Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm not quite that offensive. <laughs> <hopefully. laughs> the, um, there, there was a bit where... Um, a lot of constituency Labour parties and trade unions in the 80s were passing detailed and very similar motions of support for Peter Tatchell. So you've just got literally boxes full of constituency Labour Party documents all basically saying the same thing, but you don't know that they're all basically saying the same thing until you've gone through the whole lot of them. So, and so, what, them. so,
0: what supporting him or supporting or... mostly supporting him? Okay, well, right.
1: so, um, you, you've got all you know, so there are points so where that's you think not really what you're looking for oh, for that story, is it? 300 of these. Do <laughs> yeah. I just skip through, or yeah. could there be like what at 188 sheath, sheath of paper could there be something really amazing that isn't in the other 187 to that point? So, you've got to make those kind of judgments, yeah. really. And, um, but, but if in the mode that I try and have, which is I haven't shut down, I haven't nailed what the story is, I'm just banking stories, mm. then you kind of have to go through it yeah, because yeah. you don't know that it's not relevant yet. And you might have a scene where you know you've got 10 trade unionists or 10 constituency chairs all saying what their motion is and overlaying yeah. it on top of each other and that's creating a chorus of approval yeah. for Tatchel. So you don't know whether that scene's in the play or not yeah. because you're trying not to make those decisions yet. Yeah. So you do it. Blimey. So there are points yeah, where you just think, oh, there's a lot of paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're photographing it, you see, yeah. it's not so bad yeah. because actually it's just like page, click, page, yeah. click, page, click. Which whereas if you were sat, sat there thinking I'm going to read all of this mm-hmm. now and having to make that decision there and then is this relevant to the play or not, yeah. then it would be quite yeah. onerous I think. Yeah. So the, so yeah. I think that the camera phone has been a, an absolute liberation for archival mm-hmm. engagement, yeah, yeah. and it also means you've also got that, you know, because you haven't had to make the decision there or then is this relevant. You've just captured as much as you can. Then you've also got it as a bank of stuff later. So you do yeah. one draft of the play. And maybe there's a whole other story about trade unionism in the, the early part of the 1980s. And you've got a bank of material for that that yeah. you didn't even realise that was a yeah. play you were going to write at the yeah. time. So I always see it. Whilst I'm not. it may be not anything that I use in the play that I'm writing, you build up a personal archive of material yeah. that you then got to go back to and reference at different points. So I think the key things for me are practically photograph everything. Don't sit and read it all. You can make that decision later. Yeah. And secondly, don't jump to a a story when you're engaging with an archive. As soon as you find a story, Mm -hmm. give it the um, one power... Mike, your phone. (laughs) You're like a teenager with that phone. (laughs) Just switch it off and turn it over. You naughty boy. (laughs) Sorry. So the... um, the, uh, now you see you made me lose my thread completely. What um, was I saying about the, the, uh, the how to bank stories? So when you find a story don't decide that is the story and then immediately stop engaging with the archive. Just treat it as a story, write it, give it two minutes of your time to write down what it is and what the archival bits of it are and then continue to engage with it because there are probably other better stories there. But you've got the reassurance that if you were up against the deadline for a commission, you've got something you can go back to if you needed to. But don't let that shut you down. Keep engaging for as long as the funding or the available time you've got allows. And then hopefully when you finish, you've got this lovely set portfolio of possible stories rather than one thing that you decided early on was the story and may not have been the best story there.
0: Right, so, so I mean, in lots of ways, it, it's not hugely dissimilar to that kind of how to write a theatre script thing, in which you get all of this, all of this um, material that you use, kind of like two percent of.
1: Yeah, when you were talking about the photo album and that yeah, sense yeah. of... I mean, particularly with the addition of love, there were photos of all... Yeah. And I was really keen. There's about 600 photos, but I saw every one of them. Wow. And I was really keen yeah. to see them all and photograph them all. And I've got, so I've got loads that I've never used. Yeah. People who aren't relevant at all. But the core people and seeing what those moments were and imagining those points in their lives, so yeah. I think that's exactly what I did.
0: Well, I think one, one of the thing, one of the really interesting things about a photograph is that it's a little millisecond of time, isn't it and it's, and I think the thing that the, um, the, the process I use is um, you know it's like stopping the freeze frame and seeing what is happening before, during, and after yeah and so you know and, and so, so I can see how that as an archival um, material would be really. Um, really useful because because the, the way you so the the thing that i 've been surprised at watching your um history plays um other than the fact that i wasn't falling asleep was kind of the first <laughs> thing <that I> was <laughs> but, you know but, you, but the, the way that you present it doesn 't really i think there's there's a more creative approach than just this is the story as it happened because you you use lots like in um adhesion of love you, you used a, a couple of times. Uh, devices where the audio where the characters kind of almost step out of the moment and they um, comment on your writing, or yeah, something yeah. yeah, which is interesting. And so, so, so that, so I, I really liked that um, fluidity of, of form in a way because it didn't feel like oh, I'm sitting there watching a you know a, a, a film that you get t- told to watch at school or something, you know, because it's <laughs> it's about history or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know. And and although you know I did history GCSE and all that kind of stuff. And I found it really interesting. I don't find watching history things very interesting.
1: No, and the the point of the, so in the, in the edition of love there are there's there's a couple of lead characters, and they do have a couple of sequences where they will step out and say, "Well, Mr. Hornby's come up with this version of mm. events, and if he's going to tell it this way, then I want it told like this." So it creates yeah. a tension between yeah. the narrative of the writer and the actor. And then there's a scene at the end where mm-hmm. they talk about the, a scene that I've written and one of them says, well, I think it captures me quite well, but I don't think you, you <laughs> come off very well. <laughs> uh, yes, we should, and we should, and should. it's not really you at all, but let's show willing. Yeah. And they sort of then step into the scene. But the point of that is that I'm trying to show that, I'm, that it's not... I'm, I'm kind of deauthenticating document, what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah? So I'm showing. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. I'm saying to the audience, it's not a documentary. It's my speculative yeah. interpretation of the historical record, and because my work is a, a, a lot of so, what, is it a history play then? Well, it is. Well, okay. So this is the inter- so you, this is a really good question, Mike. Because <laughs> what because I'm writing these pieces are about um, the queer past, and the thing mm-hmm. we know about the queer past is that is it's, it's all
0: uh, under the bloody covers. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah.
1: It's largely been erased. Yeah. So either people didn't. I mean, particularly if you think in in the addition of love in 1885 and this is when gross indecency is invented and all contact physical contact between men that could in any way be seen as sexual mm. is criminalized yeah. and criminalized with hard labor and 2 years hard labor was if you weren't used to hard labor if you weren't a laborer then that would probably kill you mm. it's kind of, it's what killed Oscar Wilde you know either directly or the yeah, result so work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> physical work yeah. or the result of you know the the breaking the body and spirit yeah. so why would you write it down do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why, why would you keep a diary? Why would you send letters that could be used to in, either imprison you or blackmail oh, you? Right, yes, yes. And if you did, then when people, after you died, when people have those letters or they have your diary, of course they're going to burn it yeah. or destroy it or censor it or block it out. And you can see that with this group of men. Mm. That there are, you know, the, the, we've got a tiny, tiny little bits of evidence... But we've got huge absences, yeah. And the silences—the the trick of it—and there's a great um, historian um, whose name is temporarily just slipped out of my head. But basically, what he's saying is that the, not just for um, LGBT people, but for all sorts of marginalised people, they're not there. Mm. You know, the record is basically of—if we look at the past up until relatively recently—the record is of um, straight white men of upper middle class and higher yeah so what do we do about everybody else Mm -hmm. if we just rely on the historical evidence we know that society was structured so that the privilege got recorded and anyone who didn't have that level of privilege mostly didn't get recorded yeah and so then what my work does is i'm i'm saying there's a way to you know we've lost all of those records they're gone they're destroyed they're burnt they're censored they were never written in the first place so rather than just hearing um that absence what we've got to do is put in a voice into it. And I think playwriting creates a unique way of doing that, of connecting mm. the queer past and the queer present and finding the lines between the two. And that's why I talk about literacy, because what, if I talk about accuracy, then I'm limited to that historical record. What which does you, the historical record show? Exactly. Yeah. And if it's not there, then we conclude we weren't there and mm. we know that yeah, yeah, can't yeah, yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. be true. Yeah. So what you have to do is use playwriting as a way I can steep myself in the historical record that is there and then I have to speculate intelligently about what oh, I think. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, my best effort about what I think could be there yeah. and what I think explains the lives of the people around them. So that's the mm. other bit I think about my process. There's yeah. a bit where I can grind I can I can ground what I'm doing in the archive and then there's a little bit where in order to create that queer past I have to speculate yeah and that's the and you kind of make that do.
0: and you make that kind of transparent in a way don't you yeah well that's what those yeah, scenes are yeah, about yeah, where yeah, the yeah. characters say yeah.
1: oh I don't think this is right or where the lead character says well Mr. Mr. Hornby's determined to tell you what he thinks yeah, happened yeah, yeah. yeah and so I'm going to tell it like this yeah. so it's, it's me saying to an audience that I'm not saying this is exactly what happened yeah, but yeah. I think it's a good guess
0: yeah that's interesting. So, I mean, I mean, I think that the idea that history is only history if it's written down is is really um, God. Look at me being interested in history. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, but it is is it's something you don't really think about, isn't it? Um, that, it's, that history is only history if it's documented, and so you kind of silence a whole swathes of po- the population, don't you? Because totally. they don't. Although, ironically, I suppose now. Um, through social media and all that kind of thing people documenting do- everything. it's the opposite everything, problem yeah.
1: yeah it's like we're swamped with documentation there's a, it's called um, there is actually a term for it it's called temporal exhaustion oh. that we're all in a state of temporal exhaustion which means that the present is more present to us than it has ever been before mm. so all the time you know look what's happened in this you're looking at your phone while we're doing this Just because I was, because the present. because it's more interesting (laughs) (laughs) for me talking. I understand that, but 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 it's a perfect example of how the present, another present, is constantly intruding into the moment that you're living. Yeah, Uh, you know, it's it's the beeper going off all the time, which is which
0: is really annoying, isn't it? Yeah, and wherever we look,
1: we're constantly bombarded by endless platforms of images of other people doing other things. Mm. So we're in this state of uh, of kind of opportunity cost. Everything we do constantly. As a cost of all the other great things we could be doing and it's called temporal exhaustion yeah. we're just overwhelmed with it and so and the there's, present has never been more present
0: and there's there's people who think that if they don't record it and tell everyone that it's happening that it's not happening yeah yeah. I, I read a really interesting article about people um, about how food tastes better if you don't take a photo of it <laughs> yes and, that's know, great and how you um, and that's a good when, metaphor for life yeah and how when you go on holiday if you don't take photos um, or if you don't take photos with your phone if you take if you take photos on a camera film yeah so you've got so you've got like 16 or 24 photos then you select the moment rather I remember we went to um, Crete last year and, they were, and we went to these uh, on this boat trip and it was beautiful it was this really lovely kind of went to this island and there were Birds and wildlife. And, like, you're so poetic. <laughs> yeah. So poetic. Yeah, there was history stuff. <laughs> it was lovely, lovely. <laughs> there was stuff. Yeah, basically, there's there loads of stuff to do. There, <laughs> know, it was really beautiful. It was, it was a lovely place. And then there were these two girls, and they were just sitting there the whole time, getting doing selfies Perfect with selfie. each other, and and like you know, and they weren't even engaging with the wildlife and the, and, the, yeah. and, you know, and the birds and all that kind of stuff, you know, they, they <laughs> in my poetic language, they, 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 but they weren't you know, and they were kind of trying to show the world what a brilliant time they were having but they were really having this terrible time.
1: Well it's the irony of the term isn't it, the phrase selfie implies that it's something to do with you, with actually what, what the selfie does in disengage yourself from the moment and present it as something for other people, so it's like mm-hmm. it's the opposite, the yeah. selfie yeah, 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 yeah. is is not about you and engaging selfies, and loving.
0: I find selfies really odd. I don't, I'm not Well,
1: afraid. there's a balance, isn't there? Sometimes yeah. it's you know, I, I think it's fun sometimes. You know, particularly if you're supporting a show, yeah, yeah, yeah. to show yeah, that yeah, you've yeah, been yeah, yeah. to it and you think it's great, yeah. and you know, and a visual to that helps. <laughs> but if what you're do, if the experience, if the experience itself becomes taking the selfie of yeah, the experience, yeah. then something's gone wrong. Yeah if that's all you're doing if that's yeah. how you're experiencing it
0: so you you're not experiencing it, you're, you're seeing it through the lens aren't it
1: just become yeah and it just yeah exactly and it becomes just background mm. so it's that that's all that's all very strange so there's a whole set of things to do with what um the 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 weight of the present versus what i'm dealing with a lot of the time mm. which is the absence in the past yeah yeah and then trying to find ways to fill that in that are um defensible Mm. shall we say to people who want to you know there are there are still incredibly even though we have decoded the coded love letters between Walt Whitman and men between in Walt Whitman's diaries even though we've cracked those codes because they weren't very complicated anyway Mm. um and I include (laughs) those moments in the play there are still historians in America who will argue that Walt Whitman wasn't gay I say gay, obviously it wasn't. he didn't understand the term gay, but yeah. he wasn't emotionally and sexually interested in men. So it's an extraordinary battleground. Yes. We think those battles are won, but they are still actively, mm. culturally being fought for all the time. Mm. There, you go. there you go. That was a bit heavy, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was the inter- mood?
0: Uh, but, <laughs> No, that was interesting. Yeah, good. Um, so, a good thing to end on. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, something that did just suddenly occur to me, have you watched You on Netflix? No. Because... You, The the thing that we were talking about the um, temporal exhaustion, Um, basically they get to know each other in. I mean it's not. I don't. I didn't love it, but I can see why people do love it as as a as a as a drama because I think it's very you know kind of of the moment. You know it's very now, and basically it's a guy who kind of knows everything about this woman just through her social media um, stuff. So so he learns what she likes and all that kind of stuff so he can appeal to her. Yeah. Um, Directly through all of the stuff that she shares and then he also sees how things that she shares is bullshit. You know, it's not what she's, it's not what she's feeling, you know, suddenly you smile and you're in a selfie and then the, then the camera goes down and the, and the smile disappears. So, that, I think actually yeah. an interesting, I, I didn't love it but I thought it was interesting.
1: It's one of the, um, I mean, we can talk about it another time because it's a much bigger issue but with the the no history of the near not now, this other piece I did mm. in London working with young people we developed it through a series of workshops which I'd never done quite so actively, yeah, yeah. where right from the start we're workshopping and they're exploring LGBT representation on stage over the last sort of sixty, seventy years. Um but we did we did extracts, they talked about them, but what kept on coming through was that, that theme of of social media exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. Um and they're like from fourteen to twenty-four, twenty-five. And and the whole idea that their lives from birth were digitised yeah. and that they're the first generation. I mean, obviously, we're, we're in our 40s and so we've, we've lived through that. Um, Some of us more closely <laughs> in our 40s <quarters> than others. <laughs> but, but what we have is um, we entered into it. Yeah. So we know life before, yeah. we know an analogue age. Mm. Whereas for them, everything's mm. been digitised and recorded. And so one of the premises of the piece was that there's a time in an alternative future, the, the, the time of the no history, where they rebel against it they want to own their digital record and every piece of data about them and they want to destroy it Mm. because they don't want that record to exist and then that destructiveness then goes into the analogue as well so then they want to close down museums shut down all records of the past because they're so exhausted by it
0: Mm. want to ponder yeah interesting Interesting.
1: Well, well there we are, there that's today. Yeah. I think we're out of time, Yeah. So yeah. whatever our yeah. allocate time is, who knows. I think
0: that's perfect, that <laughs> just comes up to an hour. Great, okay, so um, lovely to be back. Yep, Isn't we're going to do this once a week now, are we? Once every couple of weeks, something like that. Once every couple of weeks, I think. Yep. Um, so we're going to get some other writers involved as well. We, we've got some, people oh, we've got some great bar. people who said yes, haven't we? Yeah, we're not, yeah. We've just got to go back and sort out the dates. Yeah, so that should be exciting. Um, we'll have, do another one with Sylvie, that was fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to, to her about that. her process, because she's yeah. got
1: that whole process about what it's like to, uh, you know, effectively, to what extent she rewrites as a process while she's uh, translating. Yeah. We've got, um, uh, we won't name them yet, because we'll no. go back and confirm, but we've got at least three other playwrights mm. who are all got very different processes to Mike and I. So yeah. maybe this season is about process. Yeah,
0: good idea there you go we've got a plan <laughs> <laughs> it came to us at the yeah, end of the yeah. first episode oh, well. thank God. we got there we got there so that's very much the how to write a theatre script in 25 days process you, you discover it at the end you do right. it all and then you discover it at the end
1: there last 10 seconds we've had an idea yeah.
0: thank goodness <laughs> so thank you for tuning in um, remember to um, if, if you're listening on iTunes just set, give us a, a, a rating that would be really really helpful um share um our podcast with your friends on social media after we've just been sitting sitting there slagging off social media <laughs> <laughs> no we were just no, we, we were, were just qualifying its it. usage <laughs> qualifying it so um follow um at right for the stage on instagram and on twitter um so it's right um, w-r-i-t-e the number for the stage And Stephen, you've got your Instagrams and your Twitters as well. Yep,
1: so it's um, Stephen M, M uh, Hornby, or Inkbrew, all one word, I-N-K-B-R-E-W Productions.
0: But it's only one M, isn't it? You just said two M's. Did I? Sorry. Stephen (laughs) M Hornby. Oh, I said M twice. Sorry, that's bad of me,
1: isn't it? It's a single M. And uh, the play that I've got on tour, The Adhesion of Love... Is on at the Bolton Socialist Club on the 31st of May 2019. If you get the opportunity to come along, that would be lovely.
0: Be lovely. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It's good to be back. Excellent.